That is a joy to worship the Lord and sing songs of salvation with you all this morning. And I just want to thank you also to all the ones that were playing instruments today and for using your gifts and skills in the worship of the Lord this morning. Uh, Amen to that. Psalms 119 verse 11 tells us that God's Word, when it is stored up in our hearts, guards us and guides us away from sinning against our great God. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 of 1 Peter 5 as we finish out our study of Essential Christianity 101, which has been laid out for us by one of Jesus' closest followers, the Apostle Peter. By the way, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word with you this morning, then please see me or one of the elders after our service today, and we would love to give you a free copy of scriptures for you to read for yourself. But Peter's been outlining uh, throughout this letter what essential Christianity uh, truly looks like, what it genuinely means and looks like for for us to be followers of Jesus in this world. I was uniquely reminded, brothers and sisters, over this last week that there's a lot of confusion regarding this topic in our nation today. Lots of people today are presenting their own alternative takes on what it means and looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. Why, if we were to listen to the messaging of our culture coming through television and the internet, we would think to follow Jesus means to demonstrate love without ever declaring repentance, to prioritize truth is to propagate hate, and that the lost are just as clean as the redeemed. That is why when it comes to knowing how to live in this world for the glory of God, when it comes to knowing what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully in our current culture, we can't go to 60-second television clips played during football games. We've got to go straight to the source. We've got to go to Jesus Christ Himself. And so, ladies and gentlemen, where are Jesus' teachings contained? What are the primary sources that tell us who Jesus truly is and what He truly taught and what He truly expects from His followers? The answer is the Scriptures. We go first to the Gospels, to the direct first-hand eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ themselves. And then we go second to the writings of the Apostles, those who were personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to pass on the full body of His teachings. As Jesus said Himself the night before His death in John chapter 14 into chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You will bear witness about Me because you have been with Me from the beginning. He will take what is Mine and He will deliver it to you. That is First Peter. That is this book of First Peter. It's this letter. This is the Apostle Peter being moved by the Holy Spirit to write down and bring to completion the full body of Christ's teachings. And by the way, that's the entire New Testament as well, as each New Testament was either written directly by an apostle or one of their present associates. And that's also, by the way, the entire Old Testament as well, which, as Peter told us back in chapter 1, verse 11, was written by the Spirit of Christ Himself. And so if you want to know what it really looks like to follow Jesus in this world, we need to go straight to the source. And that's exactly what we've done over the last year and a half as we've studied as a church what essential Christianity is straight from the pen of the Apostle Peter himself. And I don't want us to forget 
that Peter has showed us right from the very beginning of this letter, back in chapter 1, verse 3, that the Christian life is nothing short of a divine miracle accomplished by God's sovereign mercy, grace, and power above and before and beneath everything else. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. God has pushed us through faith in Jesus Christ out of the realm of spiritual death and darkness and into the realm of spiritual life and light. This is where Christianity begins. It doesn't begin with a desire to improve our morality. It begins with God doing a miracle in our hearts. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To use a theological term, God has regenerated us. He has brought us from spiritual death into spiritual life and accomplished in us by His grace a spiritual resurrection. And God did so by placing us into His Son, Jesus Christ, the ever-living One. And that new birth of being placed into Jesus Christ changes everything. Changes everything. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Peter showed us this back in chapter 1, verse 8, that after we are born again by God's mercy and power, we begin to experience a supernatural faith, love, and joy that slowly starts to transform absolutely everything about us from the inside out. And that's what 1 Peter is all about. It's all about showing us how being born again, how the new birth completely transforms how we respond to God, to other believers, to ourselves, how we respond to the world outside of us, the trials that come upon us, the times that are surrounding us, and the church that is beside us. 1 Peter is written so that we as Christians can truly know how to reflect and demonstrate God's supernatural new birth in our lives clearly for the glory of Jesus and for the salvation of the lost who are around us. This is essential Christianity. And here at the end of this letter, as Peter has outlined for these new and persecuted believers all of these helpful instructions and exhortations for their Christian life, Peter finishes his entire letter by offering one final key for faithfulness and for success in the Christian life, and that is following the example of other believers. Following the example of other believers. God has not called us as elect exiles to walk this pilgrim's pathway to heaven alone. He has given us other believers to live alongside, to learn from, and to follow after, even as they follow after their Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to make it by God's grace from where we are to where we're going, we cannot live the Christian life in isolation. We've got to live it in fellowship with one another alongside other godly Christian examples that we can imitate and we can model our lives after. God knows we need examples for exiles. And Peter shows us in these three verses the two types of examples that we need to surround ourselves with as we go on this pathway to glory. And that is examples of faithfulness, that's in verse 12, and examples of affection in verses 13 through 14. So we need people around us who constantly remind us and show us what it looks like to be faithful to God and what it looks like to be affectionate 
as well. And so, with that in mind, if you would please stand with me out of reverence and honor for the Word of God this morning as I read our passage today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us today. Peter writes, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of God who rebukes the insolent and accursed ones that wander from his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, as we have stood physically out of honor for your word, we pray that we would pay attention this morning out of honor towards you. Father, I pray that as your word is spoken, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and to obey. Shower us with the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus that we might respond as we ought to this morning. And Father, in advance of what we're about to look at, I thank you for all the different examples of faithfulness and affection that you have given each and every one of us. Pray that you would encourage us in our following after Christ, that others might see a model in us as well to learn from and to follow as well. Father, I pray that you would be working in our lives this morning to help us walk in a manner worthy of our calling and to reflect the grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I said before, here at the end of this letter, Peter gives us one final key for faithfulness and success in our Christian life. And that is by having good and godly Christian men and women around us who can serve as earthly examples for us to follow. Now, some of you might be thinking this morning, well, hold on, Pastor, I thought we already had an example to follow that Peter's mentioned, namely Jesus And that is true. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 21, after Peter makes the point that we ought to do what is right and good for the glory of God, no matter the cost, Peter then writes to us, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? Example. Why? So that you might follow in His steps. So Jesus Christ is our perfect example of how to live a life that honors and glorifies God in this world. He is the absolute standard of righteousness, of perfection, and of a God-honoring life. Just as God the Father Himself testified out of heaven, this is My beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Oh, you want to be in Him on that last day. So Jesus is our perfect standard. He is our perfect example. But sometimes, when learning to do something new, it is helpful 
to not only have a perfect example to look up to, but also a lesser example, a learning example, you might say, to look over at. So, for example, we're at that stage in our parenting right now where we are teaching our boys how to do more and more chores. Well, about a year ago, I was trying to teach our youngest boy, Ethan, how to fold socks. I showed him how to do it perfectly, I think. And I carefully guided him through folding a pair of socks on his own. And then I stepped away to do something else. I don't remember what it was. Well, he still struggled. So I came back and I showed him how to do it again perfectly and then I stepped away again. He still didn't quite get it. And so after this happened several times, I don't know why it suddenly occurred to me, I had our oldest son Felix sit down and start folding socks next to Ethan. And I told Ethan to watch Felix whenever he got stuck. Well, guess what? After that, Ethan was good. See, not only did Ethan have my example to follow and to remember, but he also had another example sitting right next to him. A learning example in Felix, who was a couple years ahead of him in folding socks, a learning example that he could quickly look towards and look at if he ever got stuck. That is exactly what God has provided for us in our Christian walk in the local church. Our fatherly God has not only given us the perfect example of a God-honoring life in Christ, He has also given us lesser examples, learning examples of how to live for Him all around us here in the body of Christ. Not only the perfect standard, but also lesser examples who also mess up like us, but they also demonstrate for us how to repent, how to return to the Lord and follow after Him faithfully. And so, the final exhortation in this discipleship primer that we have here on essential Christianity in 1 Peter, that Peter gives to those fledgling uh, new believers, is to look to your examples whenever you get stuck. Look to Christ ever and always, and look to those in the body of Christ around you in following Jesus. You cannot run this Christian life as an elect exile alone. God has given you the body of Christ to be among and to be a part of, so look to your examples and fellowship more than just on Sundays. Right? Look to your examples. And Peter gives us two sets of examples that we as Christians should look to and learn from. Examples of faithfulness and examples of affection. First, Peter tells us to look to examples of faithfulness and that's in verse 12 Peter gives us an example of faithfulness right off the bat in verse 12 when he states by Silvanus a faithful brother as I regard him I have written briefly to you so here we find out that Peter actually didn't personally write down and deliver these words himself in first Peter he actually dictated them to one of his close associates who was with him to write them down and deliver them a close associate named Silvanus Now, most scholars agree that Silvanus was most likely a derivative name for Silas, the man who ministered alongside our author Peter in the early years of the church. You can see that in Acts 15, and who also became a close companion to the Apostle Paul, not only in his initial years in the church of Antioch, but also during his entire second missionary journey. And Peter states here that Silvanus was a faithful brother. And Peter means that description in the fullest sense of the term. After all, I don't want you to forget that Peter has written at great length of what faith looks like and what it is in this letter. 
He has told us first how faith is produced. It's produced by God and by His power. Chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that we are being guarded by God's power through faith. And so faith is not natural to the human experience. It is supernatural in its nature and its source. Saving faith is the human expression of God's preserving power upon our lives. Peter's also showed us second how faith is proved. It's proved genuine through what? Through trials. Chapter 1, verses 6-7 through tells us that we are grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of our faith might be evident. So saving faith is supernaturally uh, given by God, produced. It is proved experientially by enduring trials. And then Peter has told us third, how faith is performed. We don't have to wonder what's saving faith that accompanies salvation looks like because Peter has described it for us in this letter. We saw that when someone has faith, they are marked by first rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. That's in verse 8 of chapter 1. When someone has faith, they are marked by having a hope in God and a confident expectation about the future. That's in chapter 1 verse 21. When someone has faith, they are marked by an obedience to the truth of God's Word. That's in chapter 1, verse 22. When someone has faith, they are marked not by reviling or by threatening, but by continually entrusting themselves to Him who judges justly. Chapter 2, verse 23. When someone has faith, they are marked by actions of appealing to God. That's in chapter 3, verse 21. And of entrusting one's soul to a faithful Creator while doing good. Chapter 4, verse 18. When someone has faith, they are marked by standing firm against Satan's attack. Chapter 5, verse 9. So this is what it looks like to have faith. All of this is in Peter's mind when he writes down Silvanus, a faithful brother. Right? And so Peter says, Silvanus, Silas, is an example to you of this character. He is someone who has a supernatural faith that has been proved genuine through the trials that he's gone through as he has demonstrated inexpressible joy, hope, obedience, dependence, trust, and constancy in the midst of his earthly hardships. Silas is a faithful brother. In fact, in the Greek, it says that he is the faithful brother. In other words, he was someone likely well-known for being someone full of faith. And we see, by the way, an example of this in Acts chapter 16. If you recall, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. And after Paul casts a demon out of a slave girl, her owners got really ticked, grabbed the two of them into the marketplace, and the crowd began to uh, proceed to attack them. And then when the magistrates showed up, what did they do? They took rods and they beat Paul and Silas with many blows. And then they bound the two of them and threw the two of them in prison. And yet how does Silas, this associate of Peter, And this minister of Paul, how does Silas respond? Verse 25 of Acts 16 tells us that about midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, Silas was someone who had supernatural faith, that was being proven true in trials as he demonstrated inexpressible joy, hope, obedience, dependence, trust, and constancy in the midst of unjust hardships and circumstances. 
He was a brother full of faith. Silvanus, the faithful brother. And so Peter sends Silas to his listeners, not only to deliver this letter, but also to demonstrate this letter. For Silas was the best earthly example of faithfulness that Peter could possibly give for them to follow. And so I want you to see next, Peter takes this idea and this example of faithfulness, and he turns it towards his audience. As he says at the end of this verse, I have written briefly to you, and what has he done in this letter? Peter says, I have exhorted and declared that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Notice first that in this letter, whether you recognize it or not, Peter has described for us what the true grace of God is and what it looks like. So back to the original question in my introduction. What does it look like to live in this world for the glory of God? What does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully in our current culture? What does a person's life look like when it has been touched by the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus? What does the true grace of God look like? Answer, it looks like the outline of 1 Peter. It looks like someone who through their new birth has obtained a brand new identity in their righteous Redeemer and now is experiencing a radically transformed relationship towards God, other believers, ourselves, the world around us, the trials upon us, the times ahead of us, and the church beside us. In short, the true grace of God is the transforming grace of God. It's the grace that makes you a whole new person. It's the grace that makes you born again. This is grace. And this is the saving grace of God that is obtained through faith in Christ Jesus. It is a grace that not only saves you from hell, but that saves you from your own sinful life right now. As Titus 2, 11-13 states, the same grace of God that brings salvation to all people has also, also trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Wait hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So make no mistake about it. The only grace that surely saves a sinner is the grace that surely changes a sinner. This is the true grace of God. Brothers and sisters, there are many false graces being preached today. There is a false grace being taught today in churches. A false grace being taught by men as Jude 4 states who pervert, who twist the grace of our God into an allowance for sensuality and who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who are teaching that you can be saved by God's grace and yet never changed by it at all. That you can be saved by God's grace and live as if you have no Lord They're liars. They're liars. For what was the true grace of God that Peter exhorted and declared all the way back in chapter 1, verse 2? Do you remember? Peter declared this, 
that to be sprinkled with Christ's blood, to be truly saved and in the new covenant that is found in Him, is to experience a new relationship of increasing obedience, he says, to Jesus Christ. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What is the true grace of God that Peter exhorted and declared back in chapter 2, verse 24? He declared this, that Christ Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. But why? So that we might die to sin, die to the power of sin, and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And finally, what was the true grace of God that Peter exhorted and declared back in chapter 3, verse 18? He declared that Christ also suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. As Jesus teaches very plainly in Matthew chapter 7, in His Sermon on the Mount, when it comes to discerning those who have the true grace of God and those who don't, make no mistake, you will surely know them by their fruits. Why? Because the true grace of God that saves a sinner always changes a sinner because it's all about the glory of the one who saved them. It's all about the glory of the one who saves them. So let me just say this. Jesus not only gets us, He saves us, He transforms us, He changes us. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in that. We are saved. We are saved by the unmerited grace of God alone. That is true. Good works are never the basis for salvation. Stand firm in that truth. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Not of your own works. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. It is by faith and faith alone. Good works are never the basis of Salvation is by God's grace through faith. We are saved by the unmerited grace of God alone. But Peter has also showed us good works are always the byproduct of salvation. Good works are never the basis, but it's always the byproduct. And we must stand firm in that truth as well. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Be faithful. Be faithful. As elect exiles living in a hostile world, we must remain faithful to God and to His grace. And so, to both deliver that message and to demonstrate it, Peter gives to his audience Silas as an example that they can watch and follow because they, like we, need examples of faithfulness. We need to gather around us earthly examples of faithfulness. Second, we need examples of affection. That's in verses 13 through 14. Not only examples of faithfulness, but also of affection. And this makes sense, by the way. Uh, After all, in Ephesians 4.15, Paul summarizes our relational duty to other Christians in this very simple way. He says, speak the truth in what? Love. Right? So those two elements of faithfulness and of affection are always at the heart, by the way, of every trial or testing that you and I will ever go through in this life. No matter what the situation is, every trial that comes into our life is either going to be a test of our faithfulness or of our affection. And so to help us when we get stuck, Peter tells us that we should gather around us as believers not only examples of faithfulness, but also of love. 
And so he gives us two examples of affection here in these verses. The first is given at the beginning of verse 13. Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting. Now, there is a lot of debate here about whether that's referencing a church body that was located in Rome or some other center of power of the day, or whether it's referring to an actual individual living in Babylon along the Euphrates River. I'm not going to get caught up in that. Either way, I want you to see this. The basic point is this. There is this well-known believer, or group of believers, that Peter's audience would well know. And they sent these Christians, struggling through trials, their affectionate greetings. And that word greetings, by the way, communicates the idea of to draw in, to enfold, or to embrace. And so the picture here is that this believer, or this group of believers, had come to know what Peter's audience was going through. And their hearts were so moved with love and compassion that they sent through Peter's message and messenger their warmest affections and love. If it had been possible, they would have hugged them through Peter's letter. And they say that by sending them greetings. And so does, Peter says, Mark, my son. And that's most likely John Mark, the man who wrote down the Gospel of Mark on behalf of our author Peter. And so Peter gives these two examples of believers who are affectionate to their brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where those other believers are from or what they're going through. And then, just like he did when he talked about faithfulness, Peter takes this idea and these examples of affection and he turns them and directs them towards his audience by saying this, greet one another with a kiss of what? Love. Now, lest all of our dating couples get excited by this, this was a cultural expression back then of how you affectionately greeted someone. Right? So you would put both hands on their shoulders and then you would peck them on the cheek really quick. They still do this, by the way, in Middle Eastern cultures. It was a sign of brotherly affection. And this is also, by the way, why Judas' kiss in, in betrayal in the garden was so awful. That's why Jesus said, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a what? A kiss? Jesus said that because Jesus, because Judas was using a sign of affection as a means of betrayal. It was a gross misuse and hypocrisy. And so that's what the kiss of love was. It was a sign of brotherly affection. While our Western culture is a bit different, I'll give you that, but this verse still needs to be obeyed. So let's think, how do we express familial love and affection in our context? Well, depending on the time and the circumstance that we see each other in, it at least includes waving hello and saying hi. Uh, In closer context with each other, it's by shaking hands or giving hugs. These type of things are not just good manners. They are expressions of the love that the family of Christ is to show towards one another. What do you do when you see your brother or your sister in public? Or your parents? What do you do? You're usually not just like, hey, how you, how's it going? You right? I mean, that's, I mean I, that would make for an awkward Thanksgiving. I'll just put it that way. You, you shake hands. You hug each other, right? You show affection publicly. And Peter's saying, oh, beloved, you ought to do that towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's your eternal family. That's your eternal family. These are not just good manners. These are expressions of the love that the family of Christ is to show one another. And they ought to be shown visibly for all the world to see. I would remind you of this verse that Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples when you what? 
love one another. And one of the basic ways that we can show that Christian love to one another for others to see is by how we say hello and goodbye to each other. How important is this command? Well, I would remind you to not forget the context of 1 Peter. It's in the context of believers who will soon be under the oppressive thumb of their government that will soon be hunted down for their religious convictions, that will soon be killed for their associations. And it would be very easy in circumstances and situations like that to simply draw back from one another, stop meeting with one another, and neglect greeting one another with brotherly affection. You're walking down the street, you see your brother or sister in Christ on the other side, And you sit there and say, well, I don't want to say hi to them because if they're known to be a Christian, I could get thrown in jail. And so you just silently pass on the other side. Peter says that is not how we are to respond. This is how important this is. Peter's message here is very clear. Showing love is more important than self-preservation. I just want to let that sit for a while. Showing love is more important than self-preservation. I'll never forget where this became like crystal clear in my mind was when I was leaving Pennsylvania to come be a pastor here in Ohio. There was an older gentleman that I had become a good friend with, World War II vet. And, uh, and I was going to have to move. And COVID had hit. And he came down with COVID. And at that point, we had no idea what that was going to be like. And I had no idea whether he was going to die and I was going to die two weeks later. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm never going to see this saint ever again. What do I do? And all of a sudden I realized, showing love is more important than self-preservation. So I went to say hi, gave him a hug, and prayed the Lord, my soul to keep, right? (laughs) And I think that's Peter's message. They were about to enter into a time of persecution and hardship where being a Christian was not going to be just not cool. It could get you killed. It'd be very easy to kill fellowship with one another in circumstances like that. And Peter says, don't you dare. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. Showing love is more important than self-preservation. And so, Peter says this, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Show the world your affection for one another, not only by greeting one another, but also by being willing to be greeted by one another, no matter the earthly costs that come from that. In the middle of persecution or personal hardship, don't draw back from Christian fellowship. Lean into it, because that is when you need each other the most. As Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love and welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Romans 15, 7. As elect exiles living in a hostile world, we must not only remain faithful to God, we must remain affectionate to one another. And so Peter gives to his audience these examples as learning examples that they can watch and follow whenever they get stuck. Examples of faithfulness, examples of affection. Let me conclude with 
these two simple applications for us all to consider this morning from these three verses. Two simple applications I would leave with you. First, find your examples. And second, seek to be one. First, find your examples of faithfulness and affection. I want you to know that God has given them to you right here in the body of Christ. Just like Peter could easily look around and find uh, examples of faithfulness and affection that he could put forward for his audience to watch and to learn from and follow when they got stuck, so also you have examples all around you as well right here in the church. Examples of people who have had their faith tried as by fire and have come forth as gold, firmly committed to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Examples of people who have learned what it looks like to be committed to loving Jesus sacrificially just as Christ loves, even when it hurts, even when it has a cost. And so when you get stuck in your Christian life and say, I don't know what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus and to His Word, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. God has given you the church. And when you don't know, what does it look like to show godly Christian love in this situation? You don't have to come up with the idea. Ask someone in the body of Christ who's gone through these trials before you so that they might pass on what they've learned. Examples of faithfulness and affection. Find your examples. Find your examples. If you don't know who they are, or if you're stuck in knowing what it looks like to be biblically faithful or affectionate in the situation you find yourself in, if you're not sure this morning how to chart a path forward through what you're facing, please come see me after this service. And I will work on connecting you to one of these brothers or sisters in Christ who are able to help you. Because whether it's folding socks or following Jesus, all of us need learning examples right next to us that we can look to and learn from whenever we're getting stuck. And God has given them to us. So I'd encourage you, find your examples of faithfulness and affection. Faithfulness and affection. Get to know one another to find these. Second, strive to be an example of faithfulness and affection. I don't know. When I was studying this week, So many names kept on coming to my mind and faces of people who had invested themselves in me. So that when I think about what does it look like to be faithful, I have all these names. When when it looks like, what does it look like to show the love of Christ and His compassion? I have all these faces. And it struck me, I want to be one of those people someday to someone else. I don't want to be just a deposit of all this spiritual gifting and love and examples, I want to turn around and live for Christ myself so that others might learn from me as I have learned from others. And so, let's strive to be an example of faithfulness and affection for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, let's keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus so that we might learn from Him straight from the source what it looks like to be faithful and affectionate. Learn straight from Jesus what the true grace of God is and stand firm in it. Study in earnest His divine saving grace and show in earnest His divine transforming grace. In the midst of trials, brothers and sisters, seek God's presence, seek His comfort, seek His counsel so that you might come out of that and have something to share with someone else someday. That you might be an example. 
seek to be a learning example of repentant faithfulness. Second, learn straight from Jesus what godly affection is and demonstrate that also. And by the way, you know how we can do that? It's just all of us start this week by greeting one another with brotherly affection. Let's keep it simple where Peter did, right? So I feel this admonition, by the way, is severely needed in our increasingly isolated culture where social skills are becoming less and less common and social interactions can sometimes become slightly more awkward. We're just used to hitting the likes up button or the like down button. We don't know how to talk to each other anymore. And so what I would encourage you is I think this command is desperately needed in our day. Greet one another with brotherly affection. So for example, when you see one another at church or around town or driving from one place to another in a car, wave hello. Say hi. If you get a chance, shake one another's hands or give them a hug. Greet one another with brotherly affection. Now, and I say this as someone who has felt this many, many times myself. When we do things like that, sometimes it can get pretty awkward, right? Let me give you some examples, right? So sometimes you say hi and they don't hear you, but everybody else around you on the street does. Boy, those are good times. Or sometimes you say hi and they don't recognize you because you're not wearing a suit. You're wearing like normal clothes, right? Uh, Sometimes you say hi, but then you forget their names for some reason, right? And you just wish you could crawl up in a little hole and die, and then, or sometimes, right, you, you go for a handshake and they go for a hug and it's just like, eh, right? Can I just encourage you, you know, when that happens, just laugh about it and keep on going because listen, showing love is more important than self-preservation. And awkward love is better than absent love. So just do it. Let all men know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another and greet one another with brotherly affection even when it becomes laughably awkward. Just do it. Seek to be a learning example of Christ-like love. As elect exiles living in a hostile world, we must remain faithful to God and affectionate to one another. This is what it looks like to live for the glory of God in our world today. And these are Peter's closing words on essential Christianity. If we want to live faithfully, as elect exiles for the glory of God and the salvation of the lost, then you and I need to find our examples of faithfulness, affection, and we need, to, we need to become one. We need to be faithful. And we need to be affectionate because we need to be like Christ for the glory of God until He returns. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, this is the Word of God. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-14. through 14. And this is the Word of God from 1 Peter, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Jesus Christ, our living hope, our precious sacrificial lamb, our living stone, our great example, our shepherd and overseer, our holy Lord, our faithful Creator, And our powerful Savior returns to bring us, His elect exiles, home. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Oh, I thank You, Father, for for the book of 1 Peter. Father, I thank You that 
You have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that through that new birth, we now find ourselves as sons and daughters of Your eternal family. And as You, who are our Holy Father, have called us to be holy in all our conduct, we look to the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we ask that You would make us examples of faithfulness and an affection in our day. Father, we thank You that that You have given us this ministry, the very ministry of Christ, to bear witness to the truth. And that, Father, You have given us Your Spirit and Your Word to equip us for this hour so that we might be used even as a Noah to convince even if it were possible eight souls to come to Christ. Father, we thank You that You have given us this ministry. So make us reliant on Your grace each and every day so that we would not only declare a gospel with our mouths, but that we would demonstrate it by our lives and underline the gospel each and every day for Your honor and glory. Father, I thank You that You have not only called us to this ministry, but You have given us every tool necessary for this task. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word that we can richly drink from so that we might grow up into our salvation. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your throne that we continually come to You and ask in humility to give us grace in our times of need that we can cast our cares on You because You care for us. And I thank You, Father, that You have given us the body of Christ that we can learn from as examples that we are but a living stone being built up together into a spiritual house of worship for Your name's sake. But most of all, Father, as we come to the end of 1 Peter, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He was that perfect and pure sacrifice on our behalf so that we can live in freedom and enjoy knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we have a home, an eternal home in Your presence to look forward to. And we thank You that not only is He our Savior, but He is our perfect example that we can look to as we run this Christian race. So help us to do that this week, Father. We seek to live for Your honor and for Your glory. So fill our eyes with visions of Christ and fill our heart with love for Him so that people might ask of us this week a reason for the hope that is in us and that we might give them an answer with gentleness and with respect. Help us, Father, to do this in our day until Christ comes and returns. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.